Hello and welcome back to another episode of the DFS Today podcast and The Advantage. I am your host, Michael Fiddle. Today is Monday, January 9th, and the NFL season has concluded, the regular season at least, and we are preparing for Wild Card Weekend. So it's been a bit since I've talked to you guys. The last time I did a podcast was the Thursday before Week 17. We did not play anything on the Week 18 DFS slate. And we have a lot to cover right now getting into the wild card weekend. We are going to go over season results. We are going to go over betting trends for every game on the wild card slate. We are going to go through the spend ups on the DFS slate. It is a Tuesday spend up episode. I'm recording this on a Monday, but don't freak out about it. Then at the end of the episode... I do want to quickly touch on the DeMar Hamlin situation. I have some of my own personal thoughts surrounding how it all went down and kind of everyone's reaction. And I reacted it in my own way. I kind of think we all react to those kind of things in our own way. I have nothing written down, but I have just some general thoughts that I've been thinking a lot about. So I do want to say at the end how I feel about it. If you don't want to listen, you don't have to. I'll put it at the end of the episode. Uh, as someone who's been podcasting about the NFL all season long, I think it'd be pretty amiss to just not mention it at all. Uh, that happened in the Week 17 Monday night game. And then, of course, I didn't do anything for the Week 18 podcast schedule. So I don't want to just skip over it like it didn't happen and then just talk about bets and things. And then when I do talk about it, I'm going to try and hit it from a different perspective than what I've heard and kind of how I feel about it and where it hit me uh, in my core. All right. One other announcement is Sports Ethos recently welcomed a new football DFS writer. His name, also Mike. So I'm going to try and get him on the podcast for Thursday's episode to go through the DFS slate with me. I've looked at some of his work, and I he, this guy knows his shit. I went back and looked at his screenshot and his lineups from like old Twitter posts. He seems to be someone, and I'll ask him about this on the Thursday or Friday episode, he seems to be someone who does the multiple entry builds and targets GPP tournaments, whereas I'm one build in like six different cash games. He's like six lineups in the same GPP tournament. So we come at this from very different approaches, which should, I hope, blend well for you guys as a listener and you guys would be able to you know, approach the DFS slate from whichever way you want to. Okay. Let's go through the games one by one, discuss the betting trends, then we'll do DFS, then we'll talk to Mar Hamlin. The first game on Wild Card Weekend, Saturday, 4.30 kickoff, Seattle Seahawks visiting the 49ers. In-division game, 49ers have already taken care of business twice against the Seahawks. You have a few other divisional spots, Dolphins-Bills, uh, Bengals-Ravens, and Something that we hear a lot when divisional teams meet in the playoffs is it's really hard to beat the team three times in the same season. So 49ers have already beaten the Seahawks twice this season, and you're going to hear that sentiment a lot. I don't know. Can the 49ers handle business three times in a row? Can the Cincinnati Bengals beat the Ravens twice in a row after beating them last week? Ravens won the game earlier this season. So I think that's the sentiment you're going to hear out of this game. I don't buy it. I just think the 49ers are a team that is very well positioned to take down the Seattle Seahawks. What the 49ers do well, hitting you with speed on defense. 
spacing the field and taking away the deep shots. Giving a pass rush without having to bring a heavy blitz. So that way you can keep your defenders in coverage. And on the offensive side of the ball, running really well. And Seahawks, not that great against the run. So, 49ers, I believe, are very well positioned. This line is minus 10 right now. The money line is minus 520, and the over-under is 42.5. We have seen no movement on this line at all, but I think that's because the lines came out yesterday, and I think we are going to see movement towards the 49ers. I expect by kickoff this line to be around 11.5. So if you want to gain some CLV, come in and take the 49ers. I feel very confident the 49ers are going to win this game. I am not on any bet on this game myself yet. I'm not sure where I'll be. If I do, I will tweet it out. If I gun to my head right now, I think 49ers minus 10 is the right side. If you don't want to play a spread that big, you can play the money line, put down one unit, and just bring home less return. The second game, Saturday night, is the Chargers versus the Jaguars. This line opened as Jaguars plus two and a half, and it was promptly sharped down to Jaguars plus one and a half. So sharp money is on the Jaguars. I jumped in and got the Jaguars plus two and a half for half a unit. We are also seeing the total tick up. This game, I think, opened at 46 and a half or 47 at some books. It's at 47 and a half now. So we are expecting Jaguars money coming in and over money coming in. This game is played in Jacksonville. Chargers dealing with uh some injuries, Mike Williams banged up again, needed to be helped to the bus, is what everyone was saying post-game. If he's not there and the Chargers are missing one of their key weapons, we've seen what happens to that offense all season. Although, I do think Keenan Allen is the more important weapon to you know, a lot of faltering games the Chargers have had this season. The two in this... Oh, wow, my voice just cracked. The two, like it going from two and a half to one and a half, so it went through the two is generally not a key number in NFL football, but it kind of is for a Chargers-Jaguars game where the coaches are Brandon Staley and Doug Peterson. The instances where we've seen two become more of a key number are with teams that go for it on fourth down and go for two-point conversions at higher rates than other NFL teams. That is the Chargers. And Mr. Philly Special, trick plays on the Eagles, is now the coach of the Jaguars. So I think we need to take that with a grain of salt. Two, generally not a key number in this game. More key than the numbers actually say. So I'm on Jacksonville plus 2.5 for half a unit. I kind of think that's where I'm just going to let it rock. I think I'm just going to stay right there, half a unit on this game. I don't have that strong of fields. I Fields, not, not Justin Fields. I do have, if you listen to me talk with Willie a couple weeks ago, I do have a futures ticket. On the San Diego Chargers, 36-1 to to win the Super Bowl. So, am I going to hedge off of it? No. I don't really, I'm not a big hedger. Uh, we also am sitting on Eagles 40-1 to from my first podcast I ever did here on The Advantage. That was the first bet I ever gave out. If you're like, I didn't hear him give out Eagles 40-1, to go listen to the first podcast I ever did. That was the main bet we gave out. It was last March. Nine months ago. So, um, I kind of want the Chargers to win, but I'm putting a small action on Jacksonville because that's what the sharp angle says to do. I am not going to let my two bets 
overly affect each other. I'm hoping the Chargers win because that will keep my bigger futures ticket alive. It would be beautiful if the Chargers could win by one or two, and I could also win the spread. I opened up a two-point middle. I don't think that's going to be that big of a deal. Jaguars, 2.5 is what I'm on. 1.5, I don't mind. If I had to do it, that's the side I would jump in on. Home team getting points in the playoffs off a five-game winning streak against a team that you never know when this Chargers team is going to show up and look great or show up and look horrible. So Jacksonville, that's my team for that game. Miami Dolphins versus Buffalo Bills. Line opened at 10. It's been bet up to 10.5. This game in Buffalo, we've seen the Dolphins play the Bills really well this year. They won the first game, and then they had the whole quote-unquote moral victory second game because they looked a lot better in the cold. Uh, they held the game close. It was like a fourth quarter comeback for the Bills. Last drive, Josh Allen did his magic. Um, I don't know. Now the Bills don't have Tua. I think they're starting Skylar Thompson. The injuries on the Buffalo D, Von Miller, DeMar Hamlin. I mean, people want to talk about Hamlin as like this. Hamlin was the leading tackler for the Bills all season. Dude started like 14 games. He's more than just, you know, the emotional component. There's a talent component that is now missing from this defense. He was one of the main safeties that played for this team. So they're also missing, not only are they missing one of their lead safeties all season, they're missing Von Miller, who's one of their best pass rushers. So I'm confident in the Bills to win the game, but I think the spread is too much. I'm on the under 44 and a half. That would be my best bet. I think it's going to be a slower-paced game than we're expecting. Both of these teams have played very fast. When that line came out at 44.5 to start, I was like, that's super fishy. Let me jump in on the under. That's kind of one of those um, trick lines where you expect, oh, Bills, Dolphins, fireworks, Josh Allen, Tyreek Hill. Like, But we're in Buffalo, cold. We're in a playoff situation slower, more conservative. And we're in a divisional matchup where these teams know each other and are playing for the third time this season, and familiarity leads to less scoring. So Buffalo Bills, Miami Dolphins, under 44.5 is one of my best bets of the weekend. The New York Giants-Minnesota Vikings line is going all over the place. It op- And I say that... <laughs> That's too funny that I said it like that. I say that because it stayed at three the whole time, but the odds keep changing, and the juice that you'd have to pay keeps changing. This line opened minus 110 on the plus three in both directions. Big money came in on the Giants, made the juice a minus 120, and it brought the Minnesota Vikings line to a minus three at even money. Now... The Vikings, you have to pay more juice than the Giants if you want to take the three. The, the Vikings right now are taking minus 114 juice. The Giants are taking minus 106 juice. So that means big money has come back in on the other side on the Minnesota Vikings. I'm pretty sure we're seeing sharp action on both sides of this game. FanDuel is reporting exactly 50-50 in the money splits right now. But because we've seen the juice change in the odds towards the Vikings, I would expect the sharp groups to be more on the Vikings, which is surprising right now because uh, the sharp groups have been not backing the Vikings, like fading the Vikings literally every game this season. So 
home team playoff situation, one by three against the Giants at home a few weeks ago. Ugh, I'm not on this game. Uh, I took the Giants in a teaser plus nine to bring them up and bring the Bengals down. So that's my only play here. No plays for me on the spread of the three. The total's at 48 and a half, and it's been climbing. I think this opened at 46 and a half or 47 and a half. Definitely climbing. People expecting over and some shootout action for the Giants Vikings. Because of that, I think we could remember that and target it in DFS. So if you want to go budget quarterback and not play Josh Allen this week, you'd be crazy. But Daniel Jones is your next best option in that case. Um, if you want to target the skill position players like the Justin Jefferson, Dalvin Cooks, types of the Minnesota Vikings and go that spend up because you're expecting some shootout. I think it's a pretty good idea. I would expect JJ to probably be in my lineups this weekend. Um, Bengals Ravens. I am on the under 44. Love that bet. It's now at 43 and a half. 44 is a key number in NFL total. So maybe consider buying it up to the 44. If you could get it at minus 120 or less. Uh, I'm okay with taking the 43 and a half. This Ravens offense is just really struggling to score. This Bengals team is absolutely rolling. That's why I also like a six-point teaser, bringing the Bengals down to a minus 0.5, essentially a pick em game. You're essentially taking the money line. Of course, in football, you can have a tie in the regular season. In the postseason, you cannot. So you don't need to worry about the tie on the minus 0.5. This game will end with a winner. So taking that down, you're essentially taking a money line bet. And then the Giants are taking them up to a plus nine. Um, obviously, that doesn't fit the Wong teaser rules. That would be more to play Jacksonville. But I don't think this Vikings team is blowing anyone out. And I don't think the Giants are getting blown out. So I'm very comfortable with the Giants at a plus nine spread, especially because this number's not moving off the three, even with some Vikings money coming in. Um, Dallas Cowboys, Tampa Bay Buccaneers has my favorite bet of the weekend, and it is the over in that game. I got the over at 45. It is at 45 and a half. I would still take it. 45, not a key number in NFL totals. Uh, 47 is the next one up. 44 is the one below it. So very comfortable taking the 45 and a half. It's at minus 105 juice on FanDuel right now. Love that. I would hit that pretty hard. Um, this Tampa-Dallas line, uh, I'm not sure if it's going to go to 3.5 or 2.5. I don't expect it to stay at 3. I kind of think it becomes Dallas minus 2.5 at some point this week. And if you want to back Dallas, that would be the time to get in on it. I do think Dallas wins this game. I think the Bucs suck. It's like, they suck. Me and Willie talked about it, like, every fucking week. Excuse my language. They have Tom Brady. They have home field advantage. They looked a little bit better in the last two weeks, but still not like a divisional winning playoff home team. Cowboys, on the other hand, looked pretty good all season. Did not look great the last week of the season, and I actually think that might open up value here to back the Cowboys. The Cowboys have known they've been playing the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in the playoffs, likely in Tampa, for like a month. It's It's been the probable outcome, and it ended up happening. So the Cowboys have been preparing for this game. They've been mentally ready. Uh, Mike McCarthy probably coaching for his job. I think there'll be a lot of Sean Payton buzz if the Cowboys don't pull this off. I think Dak Prescott finally needs to shut some people up saying that he's not clutch and that he sucks. I don't think Dak sucks. I think Dak's pretty damn good. Uh, the running backs for the Cowboys, super explosive. The running defense for the Tampa Bay Bucks, 
not as good this season, especially late in the season. They've been getting pretty banged up in the run game. Love the over 45 and a half. Likely going to get in on the Cowboys at some point, but I'm not doing it yet because I expect the line to dip to two and a half. So that is going through every single game for the wild card weekend spreads and totals. Maybe on Thursday or Friday when I have Mike on, we will discuss some player props as we go through the value spots. We'll discuss some player prop lines and what those are at over unders, receiving yards, anytime touchdowns, things like that. Let's talk about the spend ups on the DFS slate. We will start with quarterback. We're going to go through anyone I consider a spend up, you know, it's me, myself and I today, I'm going to be the judge, jury and executioner for who gets talked about on the spend up episode. Josh Allen, you will be discussed. You will probably be played into my lineups. Josh Allen home against Miami. I was just telling you that I have questions about um, Buffalo's defense. So that means if Miami can score, I don't really expect them to. Um, Buffalo is going to need to put on points. Josh Allen has ripped apart Miami in his last time against them just a few weeks ago, home in Buffalo. I kind of expect nothing but the same. It is really hard to fade Josh Allen considering the other quarterbacks. We don't have Patrick Mahomes. We don't have Jalen Hurts. We have Joe Burrow going against a Baltimore defense, which is really good. We have Lamar Jackson, questionable. We have Herbert, uh, probably without Mike Williams. Tua out. You know, so I don't really love any of the other quarterback options. I love Josh Allen. And like I said, if it wasn't going to be Josh Allen, I would probably dip all the way to a Daniel Jones type. 5,600 for Danny Dimes. Nice little GPP play. Wouldn't be too surprised if Mike comes in saying we have to play Danny Danny Dimes. Um, I guess the only other one I would consider from the top five is probably Herbert because of the matchup and the throwing volume. I'm not going to be playing Burrow. I think Baltimore's defense is too good. I think you're playing an in-division matchup at back-to-back weeks. Generally, less scoring in those games. I don't want Joe Burrow this week. Christian McCaffrey, absolutely love him. I think he's going to get endless work. Is Eli Mitchell playing? Let me check that really quick. Yeah, Mitchell is available. But listen, third and one, pass catching situations, goal line work. This is why the 49ers brought McCaffrey in. It is time to go to work against teams in the wild card that you're in the same division with too. So extra juice for this game for the 49ers against the Seahawks. Love McCaffrey. Um, running backs. Eckler. <sighs> Eckler is so good this year, right? Number one running back on the season. PPR machine. DraftKings is a PPR. You, you have to like Eckler. The Jacksonville front line has actually been really good. Their linebackers play with speed. So... Not the best matchup for Eckler, but again, the passing game work is just there that it could be explosive. So I like Eckler. I got no reason to say anything bad about him. Saquon, yeah, I like Saquon too. I mean, is Saquon going to go off in the playoffs? This guy can pop off on any time, and Minnesota defense sucks. So, yeah, I like Saquon a lot. I like Saquon more than I like Dalvin. I will say that. So they are in the same game, a few hundred dollars apart in a DFS sense. If I was going to go with one of them, I'm going with Saquon. I am not playing Joe Mixon. I just don't think I'm going to play any of these Cincinnati players against Baltimore D. I'm willing to play Cincinnati 
on a teaser and bring them down. I ultimately think they win. <coughs> Sorry. I love the under in that game. I think there's going to be limited scoring. Baltimore defense, really good. Baltimore offense sucks. So not the game you want to target for DFS. Dallas, I'm not going to be targeting the Dallas running backs. No Pollard, no Zeke for me. Just the split work against uh, the Tampa Bay Bucks, who don't really move the ball that well themselves either. They try and control a lot of clock, short passes, stay on the field. Don't love the potential volume that they're going to get, but could be explosive in a GPP. Um, if you wanted to play Zeke at 6,000 and hope he gets two touchdowns, it's not the worst play in the world. It's not what I'm going to be going towards. Um, if you get the Bills running back situation correct, and I'll ask Mike about this on Thursday, that could be a big winner. So, like, is it Singletary? Is it James Cook? Which one can it be? Who's going to get, you know, six catches and eight rushing attempts and some red zone work and end up with 15 fantasy points, potentially even more, and be, you know, a really, really good value play? So I think both of those Bills guys can be in consideration. Yeah, love McCaffrey. Eckler, I'm good with. Saquon, I'm good with. Justin Jefferson, probably in my lineup. Uh, really hard to avoid JJ. Guy had 1,800 yards on the season. Playing against the Giants defense at home in a dome. Um, nothing, you, there's no one, there's nothing anyone in the world could say bad about JJ if we're talking about his on-field performance, unless you had him in a season long and you just want to say I'm bitter about how my season ended in week, what, 17 with him against the Packers, didn't do great, whatever, get over it, it's DFS, we move on. Uh, Jamar Chase, if there was going to be one Bengal that I targeted, it would probably be Chase because he can absolutely explode and he gets 13 targets, his last four games, 15 targets, 13 targets, 12 targets, 13 targets, you could play Jamar Chase. Tyreek Hill, no, not with Skylar Thompson. I mean, though, he always blows up and gets past the deep, but I'm not going to do it. C.D. Lamb, I'm not actually opposed to it. We've played a C.D. a lot in our um, DFS lineups this season. He's been core quite a few times because of the target, because of the PPR. I'm okay with it. I think I like Dallas in this game. I like the over in this game. I could definitely see myself playing CD. Stephon Diggs, absolutely. If you want to stack Josh Allen Diggs and you want to go like Diggs, Allen, CD, and then try and get in a running back spend up, I'm with it. I'm with it for sure. Keenan Allen, yeah. I think Keenan Allen is the most important charger on the weekend. Mike Evans, nope. Jalen Waddle, nope. T. Higgins, nope. Godwin. Maybe. Good target floor. PPR. Decent. Not great end zone capacity, but 6,400 against the Dallas secondary, which has been banged up over their last quarter of the season. It's not the worst. I think Tyler Lockett provides some good value with Geno. I think he's going to be a steadying ship against his 49ers. Seattle's going to have to throw it all game if they're down. Uh, look for Lockett to get peppered with targets, uh, some deep bombs, some value shots, 12 targets, nine targets, nine targets, one game with two targets, and then seven targets to finish the season. Lockett's got that good floor as well. Upshot GPPs, Gabe Davis, KJ Osborne, Zay Jones, Richie James. I like Richie James. Dude is a has become a target machine. Seven and 11 his last two weeks. 
he is seemingly the number one receiver for this Giants team. I know Slayton and Hodgins are both ranked higher than him, but Richie James is the one that I would want in DFS because of that full point DraftKings. He seems to be the highest volume receiver on this team. I say number one. I don't mean necessarily running in the number one slot. I mean, he's become the number one option for Daniel Jones on the type of plays that the Giants run. So, like Richie James a lot for his value. Let's move on to tight end. Hmm. Let's skip tight end because none of those are spend-ups. And none of them are really that good. Oh, It's going to be a budget tight end week. Oh, God. All right. Defenses. I like the Bills. You're going against Skylar Thompson. I like the Giants. I'm not opposed to the Giants because this Minnesota team kind of sucks. Kirk Cousins in big games, never historically good. Giants D, hell of a culture. Dayball, bringing the heat, bringing the noise. Wink Martindale brings the blitz. A lot of sack opportunities, creates pressure opportunities, creates fumble opportunities, creates errant throw and interception opportunities. So GPP, Giants team, yeah, by all means. Uh, Ravens D, I'm also in on. I think Cincy, they've been doing so well. But this Ravens defense is really good. Really good. Especially when they made that midseason trade. I don't know why it's blanking. Roquan. They got Roquan. Uh, Ravens, in terms of a points against perspective, I think they're going to be limiting the points against. That's why I'm on the under in that game. And then the spend-ups, yeah. I, I mean, you could target the 49ers or... I wouldn't go for the Bengals, Cowboy Bills. Yeah, I would say Giants and Ravens are my two favorite defenses on the slate. Okay, that wraps up the DFS talk. We've already talked about the betting angles for each game. Oh, I didn't go over my summary of all how I did. I tweeted this out uh, yesterday. I did a long tweet thread about all of my stats on the season. So if you do want to go check it out, how many total bets I did, how many of them were spreads, how many of them were uh, money lines, how many were parlays, how many were teasers, I posted all of that on my Twitter at mfiddle14. Go check it out. But the results were plus 18 units on the season through futures bets, straight bets on weekly games. We did absolutely great. It correlates to a 25% ROI. And in the DFS space, I was playing just under $100 a weekend. I was doing 90% cash, 10% GPP. We hit GPP big three different times, 1% one time, top 3% one time, top 5% another time. And we ended up plus $1,450 playing 16 DFS weeks for nearly $100 each week. So that return is literally insane. Uh, Probably unrealistic to keep that up through the playoffs. I do hope that we keep up the going plus 18 units through 18 weeks. That's what we want to keep up through the playoffs. So if we can say, what, playoffs are four weeks for NFL? Yeah. If we can end up another plus four units in the playoffs, that would be fantastic. Let's make that the goal. Okay. The last thing I want to touch on right now is the DeMar Hamlin situation. Again. I think it would be pretty um, insensitive of me to be hosting a football podcast all season, have my last episode be the Thursday prior to that 
Monday night game where the injury happened. Skip week 18. I was planning to skip week 18 anyways. And then come back here and just pick up with wild card bets and DFS and act like nothing happened. That was the scariest thing I think any of us have seen on a football field. And I think if you were going to say, wait, I have this one other story that was a little scarier. Okay, then it ranks two. It's a, it's a top two scary moment for pretty much everyone in the world has seen on a football field. So absolutely terrifying what happened. Remarkable recovery for DeMar. And that's kind of what I want to speak to. I want to talk touch on the idea of like the blame game that's been going around. So like who is to blame and should we point at any fingers and blame anyone? And my opinion on that is kind of no. So I've had some tough instances in my life, in my past, where blame was one of the key components of like moving through a situation who is at fault for this situation. And my philosophy is like, no one needs to be at fault. And I'm not talking about the tackle, right? One of my favorite things that I saw was that no one, not one person that I ever saw said anything bad about T. Higgins. Now, T. Higgins was the offensive player that got tackled. All I heard was routine tackle, routine tackle. Looked like a routine football play. And that's what it did. And thank fucking God we haven't like harped on T. Higgins to say he led with his head into his chest or anything like that. Would be absolute nonsense. A lot of consoling for T. Higgins, as should be. That was a freak accident on a football field and just... The first thing that I noticed, the, one of the first things that I felt was, one, is this dude okay? Like, CPR for nine minutes, like, is he brain dead? Is he, can, can, can a human live not getting oxygen to their brain for that long? Like, is he ever going to be able to function the same, even if he does wake up one day? Obviously, we've gotten a lot of amazing answers, all towards the positive on those things for DeMar. But my second thought in that moment was, I hope people don't come after T, and they didn't. So my thoughts have been with UT for a while. I know T Higgins certainly ain't going to be listening to the advantage and not like 40 minutes into a podcast about wild card betting. So T Higgins, you ain't listening, but I'm thinking about you. And then the, the, the real thing I wanted to discuss was the whole five minutes until we play again situation. And I know that was announced on TV, and I know someone told it to Joe Buck, and I know he said it, and then we got clips of uh, Stefan Diggs trying to rally the boys to play. You saw Joe Burrow start warming up on the sidelines, and then we saw the coaches go across the field and bring their team subsequently into the locker room where the game was never played. Now, in the aftermath of all of this, there was so much talk about who said we're playing again in five minutes, who gave that order. There's been memos from the league that said we didn't say it. There's been memos from ESPN saying we heard. It is a back and forth, he said, she said, who said it. We need to figure out who said it. We need to you know, bring some repercussions all over Twitter. The person who said five minutes needs to be fired. No, they don't. Like, the whole five minutes thing, yeah, that's standard protocol for NFL players when they get injured and then once they get off the field to get back to play. It is standard protocol. Whoever gave the message was relaying what they have been trained to do 
hundreds of times without realizing the extent of the injury that the people on the field realized. What matters is the outcome. What matters is five minutes after that announcement was made, these teams were nowhere close to even warming up. They went right back to their locker. I think they were headed back to their locker rooms at that time. After the five minutes announcement, the players weren't even on the field anymore. And they never came back. So I think about it like if I'm stopped at a red light, right? And the person in my passenger seat says, Mike, I think we need to go left. And I say, "Mm, my gut says I'm going to go right. I take a right turn. I drive five minutes down the road. I end up reaching my destination. Now, do I blame person next to me? I told you it was to the right, not to the left. Who's the idiot now? That would have been your fault. What's the point of that? We've reached the destination. Nothing bad happened. We didn't waste any time. So let's get over the whole five minutes thing. Let's, let's not freak out about it. That is protocol. And sure, protocol should be questioned if it's, you know, if it screws up. In this situation, it didn't screw up. There were enough leaders in place. There were enough people in the right places to realize, no, 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 no. We're not taking that left turn. We're going right. I think the GPS says go right. Why wouldn't I listen to the GPS? So my whole thing through this has been the amount of blame that's been directed just needs to chill out. Like it was an incredibly scary, unfortunate situation. Instead of pointing fingers, let's point thumbs up in the right spots. Let's point thumbs up to the world for supporting DeMar Hamlin. Let's point thumbs up to the trainers who were there in a heartbeat, pun intended, to restart his heart and to administer the CPR and know exactly what they were doing. And then there was the whole... They didn't cancel the game, and they didn't tell the fans they were canceling the game for over an hour, and they took too long to cancel the game. Again, who cares? They never played another snap. In fact, look at the flip side of this. If we had told game canceled early on, and the whole freaking stadium started getting in their cars and driving to Cincinnati, how much more traffic would DeMar's ambulance may have had on the way to the hospital. So, by keeping everyone in their seats, yeah, you may have wasted fucking 30 minutes of a guy's time who was attending the Monday night football game anyways. They may be a little riled up. They might be a little more scared in their seat, but the right things were done, it seems, consistently here. So, Biggest thing of all, DeMar Hamlin's okay. Second biggest thing of all, in my opinion, a lot of support for T. Higgins. Third biggest thing of all, let's move on from pointing fingers. I was really happy that week 18 in the NFL, no major injuries unless I'm missing something. And also some games where there was like incredible football that like showed why we love this sport. So I think everyone kind of had this reaction of why do we watch the sport? Why it's so brutal, whatever. Humans, that's human nature. Like we are, 
if you go to a street corner and there's a football field on one side, you're at you're at a intersection with four corners. Let's take out football. If you're standing on an intersection at four corners, there's tennis being played in one of the corners. There's basketball being played in one of the corners. There's soccer being played in one of the corners. And in the fourth corner, there's two people boxing. What are you watching? We are naturally drawn as humans towards, sadly, more violent and contact sports and more brutal incidents. Everyone is going to have their eyes on that boxing match. No one is watching the tennis match if we're standing at a road and there's boxing and tennis going on. So, yeah. Do I like tennis more than I like boxing? Yeah. Do I know more tennis players than I do boxers? Yeah. But it's an inherent human nature, and I think that part, you know, we need to somewhat recognize. We used to go watch gladiators fight to the death. We used to put people on horses jousting each other with spears for entertainment. So football, yeah, very violent game. A lot of injuries. Brutal. People sign up for it. I don't think we need to go into why do we watch this? Why is this the biggest sport? Why does it make so much money? It's obvious. It's human nature, and I was happy that DeMar is okay. That's first and foremost. Second, that we can all remember that we still enjoy football moving forward. I think even DeMar is probably going to be there, whether shown on the Jumbotron with a video maybe even in person in Buffalo in the next week or two because it seems like he's getting out of the hospital pretty soon if he's not already. I mean, it seems like a freaking remarkable recovery. And if he's going to be there to support his team and still watch football, then I think that's an ode to all of us that we can too. So let's not blame anybody. Let's not even blame ourselves for why we like our sport. Let's stop pointing fingers. Point those thumbs up. It's all going to be okay. I will talk to you guys on Thursday. Thank you for your listening to me ramble about the DeMar Hamlin situation. Again, Godspeed to DeMar himself. Peace out.